getting ready to host their final game at Rogers Arena this season. It is the Canucks Hour here on Sportsnet 650, your home of the Canucks. I'm Jamie Dodd. My co-host is Canucks insider Thomas Trance, who also covers the team at The Athletic. Canucks Hour brought to you by Avenue Machinery. Being a champion takes foresight. Build your company to win for years to come with fuel-efficient and reliable Kubota skid steers excavators and loaders from avenue machinery visit avenue machinery.ca final home game of the season drancer and uh, lots going on no playoff stakes obviously but still lots to break uh, to get into lots to talk about ahead of this one against the kings tonight tons tons to get into ahead of tonight's game uh i mean JT Miller will play, although Kyle Burrows centered the first line at morning skate. Uh, there'd be more to get into if Kyle Burrows was going to play center on the first line tonight. He won't. But the Vancouver Canucks will finish their home slate tonight. Uh, it's fan appreciation night. They'll give out the team awards. Luke Shen will win the Unsung Hero Award. Um, you know, Quinn Hughes, I'd assume, will be the top defenseman. That would be a crime if he wasn't. And yeah, that would be a, a, a moderate surprise, I would think. That would yeah. be a moderate surprise. And, and you know, it'll hopefully be, like, hopefully the Canucks put on a, a really good show. It, it's really tough. You know, when you're eliminated from the playoffs, I remember covering, uh, Faber, you got the bell ready? I remember working with the Florida Panthers, and the day that the team was eliminated, even though, you know, everyone, every time but one of them, uh, we could see it coming for weeks, much like the Canucks could, right? Um... You know, and I, I remember it was sort of the twilight of Roberto Luongo's career. And every time it became mathematically impossible for him to win a cup, right? The the weight of it, the emotional, you know, reaction to those that door closing, even even if it was un- improbable, well, we uh, was we, always a really tough. Like it was a weight. There, it was really tough. I think thereafter to muster your best performance. And so I hope, especially with all the optimism that this team has been able to generate over the course of the last 55 games under Bruce Boudreaux, you know, I, I hope there's one last good night out at Rogers Arena this season because, you know, you, you've seen some of the atmospheres in the second half. They've been good. It's been a party here. And and you hope that the fans get sent off, um, you know, with that sort of atmosphere um, again, one last time before the end of the season. Yeah, I mean, we saw that the psychological effect that missing the playoffs officially can have. I think we saw that play out in real time against Seattle. Yeah, we right? did. When the news broke that, oh, yeah, you've been mathematically eliminated and you saw how the team's performance really sagged in that game. Now the challenge is, as you said, it's fan appreciation night. You want to send your fans home on a really positive note. I know this isn't the last game of the season, but it's the last home game. And Frankly, I mean, you know, the fans deserve a lot of appreciation, I think. Like, think about Bruce, there it is, and how iconic and how much fun that's been. That was a totally organic creation of the Rogers Arena fans, and they have done a fantastic job, as you said, of creating an atmosphere in the building and really buying in and trying to push the team on that improbable playoff run. So I'm very hopeful that it will be a fun celebratory night tonight at Rogers Arena. Uh, As you said, it was an optional skate at Rogers Arena this morning for the Canucks. JT Miller, really the only guy not participating, which is why he wasn't on the ice, but Bruce Boudreaux did assure us. I mean, would you you call it an optional skate if it's only JT Miller absent? I don't know. (laughs) It seems seems convenient. But uh, (laughs) Bruce Boudreaux assured us that JT Miller will be in the lineup against the LA Kings tonight. Uh, 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line, the smart alternative. Visit Dunbar Lumber on Bridge Street in Ladner or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. Lots to talk about. You had a great piece up at The Athletic today, Drancer, about the Canucks off-season to-do list, and we'll get into that a little later in the show. Specifically, I want to talk about uh, where Bo Horvat sits on that to-do list as well. But I want to start today by talking about Vasily Podkolzin. And Podkolzin, of course, has gotten a lot of well-deserved attention and praise for how he's performed, especially in the second half of the season, the development he's shown, the upside that he's presented and that he has in his game. And today, a really interesting wrinkle drancer was that he spoke to the media for the first time since training camp, and he did it without a translator. And, of course, this is a, a young Russian player who's learning English. He's in North America for the first time, playing his first North American professional season of hockey. And we're going to play back a, a good chunk of the audio 
from from Pod Colson today because I thought it was a really interesting and entertaining availability he had. But before we get to the actual audio, I mean, as a reporter covering this team on a day to day basis, what was your reaction when you know you learned that Pod Colson was going to come and largely without the benefit of a translator uh, have a talk with the media? Yeah, I mean, I I think it speaks to his character, right? That he's wanted to that he wanted to have his say, that he wanted to be heard from before the end of the season, and he wanted to be heard from directly, and clearly felt confident enough in his English at this point to do so. I think that speaks to the work that he's put in, the seriousness with which you know um, he's tried to acclimate to life in the NHL and life in North America. And, you know, I've worked with players whose language skills were developing. While while they were playing in the NHL, what, what are you talking about? I didn't even say anything. It, it's imp- it was implied there, not explicit. <laughs> oh, I don't know about that. I don't know if I get a ding there. I'm gonna <laughs> anyway. Um, yeah. So the guy I think about is Maxim Mammon, who really had no English at all when he first came over to the league. And the thing that players really struggle to work through as their English improves in the NHL and as they're in a North American environment, in terms of doing media, is being comfortable enough to risk looking foolish, right? I mean, there's a there's a expectation that players have of themselves that they will be in command of their environment and in a media environment when you're not super comfortable with the language, you know, that sense of command is challenged. And so Vasily Podkolzin has clearly improved on his English. He worked really hard on it uh, behind the scenes. Uh, says that he started to feel a little bit more comfortable uh, in January, although I'll let you hear more about that from him directly when we play the audio. Uh, I thought he showed a really good sense of humor. I thought he put himself out there. Full credit to him. Uh, It was actually a really insightful interview, in my view. I think it gave us a better sense of the person, a a far better sense of the the sense of humor. And, um, and, you know, I think it was an interesting window into into a pretty talented young man who's clearly taken his job very seriously and wanted out of a sense of pride to to make sure that the fans heard from him directly full credit to him yeah i i give him a lot of credit i and i say that as somebody who is absolutely terrible at learning new languages and and i've tried and it's just it's a real real struggle for me so the fact that it's something he's been able to tackle like that it impresses me a lot and you know as you said anyone who's tried to learn a language can tell you there's a big difference from you know, wh- whether you're working on a from a computer program or with a tutor or whatever, from the kind of learning environment to being out in a spontaneous conversation that could go any any number of different directions, right? People could use, be using idioms. There could be humor involved. That's a really, really difficult situation uh, to jump into. And I, I think it speaks very, very highly of his work ethic, his character, and all of that, the progress he's been able to make. And we, instead of just telling you uh, about... Vasily Podkolzin's media availability. Let's let you hear a big chunk of it. This was Vasily Podkolzin this morning at Rogers Arena uh, talking to the Vancouver media. It's going to be funny. <laughs> My English still so bad. And give me simple questions, please. Silly, how do you feel about your season? It's been a long year. We haven't talked to you since training camp. Uh, yeah, it's been, it's been a long season. We did, a, uh, we did a good job. Uh, so many, I, I think I, uh, I got so many good things. Uh, I'm still learning like every day uh, about English, about hockey, as a player, as a person too. And um, that's really good. I'm happy to be here. And uh, uh, like all old guys, uh, old old guys and young guys, <laughs> uh, always support me. And uh, that's that's really appreciated. You've had to work on a lot of things. You have to get used to a new style of game, new culture, new country. You're on ice as well. Is there something you're especially proud of that you're the most proud of that you've achieved this season? Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, it's like, it's more um, like little things like uh, for check, maybe uh, play on the wall. Uh, like, you know, uh, old guys talk, talk with me like every day uh, about it and just just keep working. Your, your ability to compete for the pocket. Yeah. yeah. How much have you enjoyed this? Has it been fun? to be here this year? Yeah, 100%, yeah. I'm, I'm really happy uh, to be in Vancouver, to be in NHL. And, uh, yeah, I think I, I, I could be uh, could be better uh, for the team, uh, but I think I uh, I got a hard work uh, in summer and uh, be be ready and be better for next season. And, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm really happy to be here. It's 
uh, have great coach, great teammates, great organization, and again, I'm just happy. How has, how has your wife enjoyed the, oh, the change uh, in the culture? Uh, it's been not, not easy when we came to Vancouver, but uh, right now it's, uh, it's so good. Yeah, uh, they find like uh, friends here, and uh, oh, oh, everything is good. What about the last couple of weeks? It seems like your play, your production, your confidence has all grown here. How happy are you with the last few weeks? Uh, yeah, uh, I got a little more ice time uh, because uh, like Bo appears uh, got got injury. I think so. And uh, yeah, this that play fun and uh, play this good, uh, really really good teammates and uh, JT Miller or Elise Peterson. It's it's really uh, really fun to play. And uh, again, I just just played in just playing my game, just to continue playing my game. And uh, I think I uh, I'll be better again. What are your thoughts on going to Abbotsford to play in the playoffs at the American Hockey League level? Yeah, uh, that's uh, good. Good extra games for me. I think so. I, I told his Bruce about it uh, after after deadline. Yeah, and uh, he said that's just it's just good for you, good for your experience, and uh, 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 you, you you will be like better player after this playoff, after these extra games. And but we'll see. I don't know. I don't know yet. Uh, like uh, I think we, we'll talk uh, with Bruce with uh, my agents after after back to back. Yeah. And uh, we'll see, but I think uh, I hope I can to bring something uh, uh, something good hockey for Abbotsford. Just the excitement, though, of playing playoff hockey at any level. Yeah, yeah, that's. I think that's a big step for me. Uh, and uh, Abbotsford, uh, like AHL playoff, it's uh, it's really war. Uh, I know it already already said me, uh, but I think uh, I think I'm ready. Your English is impressive. First of all, how, how have you been? Have you been taking lessons? Have been uh, how have you how have you tried to learn a language? Uh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I had an English teacher in Russia, but it's um, you know uh, you can't know all English rules, but having a practice, uh, you, you can you can speak, you can talk. Yeah, I haven't got like Russian Russian guys uh, in in my team. I like uh, something uh, heard like something new words every. Every every day, you know, and uh, I think I I began to feel better like after after New Year. I think so. Yeah, I uh, began to understand coaches, uh, guys, teammates, and uh, that's that's really fun when you can when you can to speak when you can when you can understand. That's uh, that's really easiest for me. Do you have a favorite English word? Huh? <laughs> you have a favorite English word? A favorite English word <laughs> uh, that you can say on TV. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Bruce Day, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Was there something you were nervous about when you first came in English, maybe, but in terms of adjusting to playing in the NHL, you know, your wife having to come with you, was there something you were really nervous about before the season? Uh, about, about media? You think so? In general, anything? Uh, no, uh, I don't think so. It's just, uh, again, great organization, and I... Um, I'm a little nervous about uh, about hockey, uh, about uh, after after training camp in Abbotsford. Uh, when I'm back to Vancouver, it's uh, it's been it's been a hard work for me. It's uh, been so many new things, so many new, uh, like another system. Uh, but right now, right right now, it's really better. What have you liked about living in Vancouver? Have you got favorite places or walks or hikes? Or uh, probably Stanley Park. Uh, I like to walk uh, with my wife, and uh, so many good restaurants. Yeah, and really beautiful city. I like it. You sat out just one. I think one game with Travis, one game with Bruce, and your first half of the year, um, you know, was a little bit more up and down than what the second half has been. Were was there any times you were frustrated or or wondering? You know, are you going to make this work, or any self-doubt? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I, I took time to adapt, uh, and uh, first uh, first part with Travis uh, like something new for me, and uh, something new like a player, like a person I I didn't know, like uh, I didn't know nothing. And uh, uh, second part, I, I get conf- a little confidence, 
and uh, I felt really, really better. But uh, I don't know, uh, Bruce. I remember my fir first uh, when I met uh, when I met with Bruce. Uh, he told me like, "You're a good player. You can you play in NHL. You can to you can to be a good player in this league." Yeah, and uh, this words like really helped helped me, and uh, I got I got a little confidence. But uh, again, uh, when I when I worked with Green Green, like my first NHL uh, coach, yeah, and just want to say thank you. This is like one thing we've all noticed watching you practice is how early you're on the ice, how late you tend to stay out. Oh, why, it's, uh... why are you so hard to chase off the sheet? <laughs> uh, Bruce not happy about it. Uh, but uh, um, I don't know because uh, uh, I'm a young player. I I can't uh, I can't go a little early for uh, like work some little things uh, like some maybe some shots and uh, uh, that's that's just good for me. It's, uh, I'm a young player. I, uh, uh, <laughs> I, I, I can't do it, and uh, I, I just wanted to work and to play here. That's it. One other thing you do every game is uh, during the warm-up skate. You're yeah. the guy who digs the pucks yeah. out of the net and, and feeds them. Yeah, that's my work. That's my work. <laughs> who, who assigned it to you? Uh, I don't remember. It's. Maybe Mil Milzy, probably Milzy. <laughs> <laughs> well, was it was it helpful to have that type of role where you have to learn what your teammates like and uh, have yeah, to engage yeah. with them? I, I know uh, what what my teammates like. I like it like in uh, it's 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 usual for me right now. Had you done it before? Is it something? Yeah, I, I did in Saint Petersburg, like uh, same world. So you're not going to try to pass it off. No. Next season? Uh, no, I, I'm gonna try. Why not? <laughs> Why not? It's uh, I like it. I like it. I don't mind. And you mentioned uh, Bruce being upset with how long you spend out on the ice, or uh, presumably joking. I, I think he admires it. But um, what sort of um, feedback did you get from your teammates about the length of your skates and practices and morning skates? Uh, Ну, на командике, я думаю, насчет, что ты найдешь так долго, что они думают об этом. Ah, I don't know really. They, I think they, they don't mind about it. And uh, I think they understand that for young guys it's, it's not bad. And uh, it's just uh, for, him, for himself. And I, I think everything is good. Uh, do you have a favorite memory like, from this first season? Was there a moment that meant a lot to you when you reflect on... Uh, your rookie year. So many, so many good memories for this season. Um, like hockey or uh, hockey, yeah. Uh, I think uh, first initial goal, maybe. Yeah, that's. I'll always remember it. Uh, but I have, I remember goal uh, against uh, Columbus when we uh, we lost uh, three nothing and uh, we'll come back. We was come back. Uh, yeah, so many good things. Uh, happened in uh, this season, and I think, uh, yeah, it's a, uh, it's it's good, really good. And your favorite memory, non-hockey, away from the ring. Ah, uh, uh, Rocky Buddy. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> I think so. <laughs> that is Vasily Podkolz and Canucks rookie forward speaking to the media today, uh, pregame before the they face the LA Kings. First time talking to the media since training camp, and mostly, almost entirely, without the benefit of translation. Just a little bit there, which I believe was coming from uh, goalie Archer Silovs when he did need yeah. just a tiny bit of help. But well, and I think it was my fault because I used the word personable, right. and that's like right. that's a that's a five dollar word. I shouldn't have used that. I uh, or or sorry, I used the word presumably. Uh, listening back, I didn't realize it at the time because I was just sort of talking. And the first few questions, you could tell that I was like really cognizant of being slow and and simple. And then, you know, I, as an aside, I was like, you know, presumably joking. And of course, you know, that was uh, that was just um, I, I I momentarily lost myself because if I hadn't done that, I'm sure he would have understood and given me a good answer. He was just on fire and yes. he was making jokes yep. and he was holding court, and so I sort of 
forgot the context as the as the conversation went on. Yeah, and people are just uh, flooding our inbox six fifty six fifty with extremely positive reactions. Rager texts in just listening to this with a big smile on my face. So cool to see how far his English has come. Ben from Dunbar says uh, Pod Colson's English sounds amazing. Uh, this one comes in from Ryan, the H2O distributor, says Pods is the best. What a beauty. And West End Mike says, did Pod Colson say his favorite English word is Bruce? There it is. That's hilarious. <laughs> yes, he did. Yes, he did, West End Mike. Yes, he did. Which was just the absolute cherry on top of an overall fantastic and really interesting interview, right? Beyond the the major kudos he deserves for putting in the work and having the cur- in on his English and having the courage to come out and speak to the media in that context – and again, as we said, that's very impressive. He deserves a lot of credit. But beyond just that element, I mean, there was a lot of insight uh, and perspective into how his season's gone. And when you take a step back and you just think about the total situation that Vasily Podkolzin found himself in, coming to a new culture as a rookie, you know, a high pedigree draft pick, but not one who was necessarily expected to come in and immediately step into a top six, extremely productive role. And then you also think about just how turbulent this season has been. What a roller coaster this season has been for the Vancouver Canucks. That's a very difficult situation for a rookie to come into. And the progress he's shown on the ice, and then you hear also the perspective and the attitude he has in that interview, it's hard not to come away extremely impressed with Vasily Podkolzin. Yeah, and the 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 jokes, uh, that's what I wouldn't have understood. Like, he's clearly got a pretty good sense of humor, and I would never have known that without that interview this season. So it gives us a different perspective into who this person is. Uh, you know, clearly a guy who loves the game, right? He, hard to pull off the ice. Uh, you love to see that, first of all. I think that's, uh, you know, uh, such a vital... At this level, at this level, right, and Bruce Boudreaux in his earlier commentary predicted that Vasily Podkolzin would peak as a 25-goal scorer in the NHL. I don't know if I'm there yet. <laughs> that's, a, that's a high bar. But, you know, I, I, far be it from me to question Boudreaux. <laughs> but, the, but the, you know, overall, the overall separators. Like, you need things that set you apart if you're going to reach that type of level, right? The level of a 25 goal scorer, which is, you know, extraordinarily high, right? Even this year with all the 30 goal scorers we're seeing around the NHL, and there's like 70 of them, right? There's only 110 people in the world who are 25 goal scorers in the NHL. So to break into that category of athlete, to break into that category of professional takes a lot. And there's things that separate various people. Pod Colson clearly loves the game, right? Loves the game of hockey. And that's, potentially his separator the fact that he's you know got the confidence that he's got the sense of humor uh that he's able to be up there and you know facing a crowd that in his second language and make jokes crack wise um you know that's that's the sign of a of a guy who is enjoying himself in in my view who's matured who felt uh, a role like felt like he had a role to play that he needed these fans who've been rooting for him to hear from him directly. You love that seriousness, but the fact that it's belied by, you know, a fundamental love of just being on the ice, playing around, playing hockey. Uh, you know, that's that's the sort of thing that you look at and say, OK, maybe 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 he can be a 25 goal scorer. Maybe he can exceed, you know, our expectations for him as an offensive producer. We've certainly seen him improve a ton. Uh, it's clear why. Right now that we've seen him talk, now that we've got a sense of the man, I think we maybe have a better sense of clarity as to how he's you know managed to improve so much over the course of this season. And it would be one thing if we were hearing all of the same reports about his work ethic and his his drive to succeed and how coachable he is and how much he loves the game and all of that. If we were hearing that but not necess- not necessarily seeing it on the ice, it would still be a positive, right? It would still be something to take seriously and okay, maybe that's reason for even more optimism, but we're also seeing it play out, right? I mean, we have seen we, we're not just hearing that he's driven to improve and always trying to get better. He's gotten much better since he came in, in in at the beginning of the year. Like we're seeing the production already start to come, and again, him his ability to improve his English uh, that much is just another example of that that drive to improve, that drive to succeed, paying off. So you're hearing not only the kind of firsthand accounts from teammates and coaches and from himself and everyone about what a hard worker he is, but you're also seeing it pay dividends right now. And I think that those that combination of the two things should give you a lot of confidence that, as you said, maybe that ceiling, I, I think at the very least, 
everyone who's watched Vasily Podkolzin this year has probably had to raise their ceiling for what he can potentially be. Doesn't mean he'll get there, right? But you've kind of had to scale your your range of uh, outcomes for him upwards just based on what we've seen this year. And that's uh, that's a very, very exciting thing for, for the Canucks and for Canucks fans. Very exciting, especially because of the dynamic of him having two more years left on his entry-level deal. Uh, unfortunately, unfortunately, you know, it's going to be really hard for this team to build a contender uh, while Pod Colson's on, you know, over the next two seasons. I mean, there's a big gap still between them and the best teams in the league, even if, you know, as people like to point out, the Canucks are 11th in point percentage since Bruce Boudreaux took over. You know, it's not that they're starting from a st- standing stop, but getting into that class of, you know, the Carolinas, the Floridas, the Torontos, the Colorados of the world, I mean, there's still a fair bit of, um, you know, a fairly large step to, to make here if you're going to summit to that level. And whether or not the club can do it under Pod Colson's in the first two years of Pod Colson's deal, I mean, I, I don't I don't know that they can. And thereafter, you know, he gets a little more expensive, which sort of speaks to the challenge of this offseason. We'll get into this more in yeah. the second segment because, you know, You've got Besser expiring. You've got Horvat and Miller the year after. You've got Pedersen the year after that. Not to mention Hoaglander on Pod Colson thrown in. And it's not like you've got cheap labor coming for those years when you're going to have a 24-year-old Hughes and a 25-year-old Pedersen and a $5 million, 28-year-old Demko, all presumably at the peak of their powers. You know, there's a lot of work to do to make sure that this club's going to have the depth that matters in those seasons, those high-priority seasons. And so we'll get into the off-season to-do list on the other side of the break and dive into those issues more. Yeah, we absolutely will. And I want to talk about Bo Horvat and his uh, spot in the Canucks off-season priority and to-do list as well. But before we do that, before we go to ba- break, Drancer, we have to give away another four-pack of Vancouver Discount Golf Cards. The Vancouver Discount Golf Card is great for those that want to play golf in the Lower Mainland and Washington State at hugely reduced rates by getting amazing two-for-one deals and more. All you need to do is book your tee time according to the rules of the offer and present your discount golf card at the participating courses when you arrive. That's it. You can play some of your favorite courses at great rates. Course and offer restrictions apply. We've been doing trivia all week to give these away. We will do a Vasily Podkolzin-themed trivia question today since he was the subject of our first segment. The Canucks picked Vasily Podkolzin 10th overall in 2019. Prior to Pod Colson, who was the last player taken 10th overall by the Vancouver Canucks? Again, Canucks picked Pod Colson 10th overall in 2019. Before Pod Colson, who was the last player the team took with the 10th overall pick? Text in 650-650 for your chance to win a four-pack of Vancouver discount golf cards. And we will be back looking ahead to the Canucks offseason and what is on their to-do list. That's coming up next. It's your home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. Welcome back to the Canucks Hour, Sportsnet 650, your home of the Canucks on a game day, final home game day of the year as the Canucks take on the LA Kings at Rogers Arena on Fan Appreciation Night. There's going to be all sorts of special festivities going on at the game, some alumni in the house, giveaways, all of that, a salute uh, to the fans from the team at the end of the game. So if you are going, uh, you're going to want to get down there early, and you're going to have a really, really good time with those festivities. And hopefully the Canucks put on a good show as well. Canucks Hour brought to you by Avenue Machinery. Being a champion takes foresight. Build your company to win for years to come with fuel-efficient and reliable Kubota skid steers, excavators, and loaders from Avenue Machinery. Visit avenuemachinery.ca. Before we dive into the Canucks off-season to-do list, and Dranzer has a great article up at The Athletic right now that you can go check out, uh, got to wrap up our trivia question, which again, at stake was a four-pack of Vancouver discount golf cards. The question was, the Canucks picked Vasily Podkolzin 10th overall in 2019 before Podkolzin, who was the last player taken 10th overall by the Vancouver Canucks. And shout out to Germinder, who had the correct answer. It was Cody Hodson back in 2008 was the previous player uh, taken most recently 10th overall 
by the Vancouver Canucks. So shout out to Germinder and uh, everyone who didn't win today. You will have one final chance this week tomorrow on the show to win a four-pack of Vancouver discount golf cards. 650, 650, keep your thoughts coming in. And Drancer, as I said, you wrote a piece outlining the Canucks off-season to-do list. And we we spoke yesterday a little bit about Bruce Boudreaux, and, and that is uh, obviously very, very high on the to-do list to figure out a way to extend Bruce Boudreaux and make sure that he is here next year and you know at least signed beyond that as well to be the coach of this team. Beyond that, in terms of kind of tangible, specific decisions this team has to make, what would you say is first to do on the to-do list? Well, it's extending Bruce Boudreaux. I mean, come on. Come on! We all know. We've all seen it, right? There's no question that Bruce Boudreaux has earned an extension. He's earned a raise. And I think it's vital. Vital for this team, particularly coming out of the last two seasons, which have been so chaotic away from the rink, have been so chaotic in terms of the organization's overall trust level in terms of how they're viewed by this market, right? The the optics of the last two seasons have been really tough to swallow, tough to figure out. It feels like there's a stench Uh, of dysfunction and mediocrity that has lifted suddenly. This cloud, this toxic cloud has lifted over this club over the course of the last 50 games, 55 games. You'd give Boudreaux the lion's share of the credit there, right? Uh, New management clearly has played a significant role as well, no question. But we haven't seen them do as much as we've seen Boudreaux do, right? We've seen Boudreaux coach 55 games. We've seen new management sign a CHL overager and make two trades. And claim a guy off waivers, right? The, the body of work uh, to this point, right, is clearly in Boudreaux's favor. So for now, let's give him the lion's share of the credit for that. I think it matters more than almost anything else that this organization could do this offseason to just be able to project stability to this market. Extending Bruce Boudreaux is item number one for me on the Canucks' to-do list. But it goes deeper than that, right? This this is a club that you know I, I think needs a fair bit of work overall. And, and even if... You're one who believes that this is a playoff team. They've shown it under Boudreaux. Look at the record, right? Even if you're on team, make few changes and just return the same group because they'll make the playoffs next year with a full year of Boudreaux. The fact is is that there's still a lot of work to do, right? There's still a key looming decision to be made with Bo Horvat and JT Miller, both of whom will become eligible to sign extensions beginning on July 13th, right? So they have one year remaining on both of their deals, 5.5 and 5.25 million, almost twin contracts. Mm -hmm. Both are 30 goal scorers. JT Miller is going to hit 100 points. Bo Horvat wears the C. These are crucial pieces for the club. And, you know, if if this team is going to extend them, you're looking at 7.5 to 8.5, maybe more, million dollar dollars a year and you're looking at long-term commitments centermen get paid when they hit unrestricted free agency look at thomas hurdle who signed eight times eight look at mika zibanejad who signed eight times 8.5 you know miller can make the case that his production is every bit as impressive as zibanejad's bo horvat can make the case that his production is every bit as impressive as thomas tomas hurdles and so these are going to be very tricky contracts to negotiate now i don't want to create the false sense of urgency, like they have to get this done now. You know, it's, there's time. There's a lot of time in both of these cases, but, but you do have to make a decision one way or the other. And then you probably do have to act on it, right? If you're going to get deals done early, if guys are going to take less to stay, for example, you know, that work, those seeds need to be planted. That needs to be worked on throughout the summer. Maybe you're not ready to announce on July 13th, but you know, you're going to be grinding away on it hoping to get the deal done well before you know November at the very latest. Uh, and that's if you make the decision that you want to keep them because the other sort of factor to bear in mind as the club prioritizes and makes key decisions on who to keep and who to deal is you know their trade value will be at its highest when off, during the offseason. And this is for a variety of reasons. One is, is that teams tend to have the most cap flexibility, right? You have the most bidders. We talked about this a fair bit with JT Miller, who I insisted, you know, would have 
you know, the most value to a specific team, perhaps, if he solved some of their issues uh, during the season ahead of the deadline. But really, you know, there'd be there'd be more bidders in the offseason when teams can exceed the cap by 10% and all of their contractual commitments have expired. And I mean, there's there's it's so much easier to make deals for players with five plus million dollar cap hits in the offseason. So you have to be mindful of the fact that once you go into the year, like maybe you get a, a sort of auction price ahead of the deadline if if they're you know if there's a couple of really good contending teams bidding but for the most part the offseason's kind of when you want to be acting you want to be proactive in terms of gauging the trade value and doing the cost benefit of the analysis of you know what does our team look like without these guys what does our team look like with these guys is that better than the possible return plus the cap space that comes with it? You know, I, I think I think for me, I mean, to editorialize, for me, Bo Horvat's a no-brainer. you got to resign him. Uh, he's a couple years younger than JT Miller. He's got deeper roots in this marketplace, in this city. Um, you know, I, I think that one for me is a no-brainer. I think the JT Miller question is, is a much trickier one, particularly because he is going to be a 100-point player this season, and that's nothing to sniff at. In fact, you know tip your cap 100 points is 100 points it's amazing uh but you know jt miller's not typically produced at that level uh he's going to be 30 at the expiry of this deal uh you know i i think that i think the risk that comes with extending jt miller uh, especially because you know coming off a contract year he's sure to be more expensive than horvat would be um you know i think that sort of balance of probabilities uh suggests that maybe you want to keep one but not two Particularly because, you know, it, it happens really fast that you could end up with, you know, Quinn Hughes at seven and a half, Pedersen at nine plus following the expiry of this contract, JT Miller and Bo Horvat both at eight plus, And all of a sudden, you know, you're at 35 million for four players. And that's, I mean, that's the Toronto model, right? That's the model that, you know, becomes tenuous in terms of every year reloading your su- supporting cast around them. I, it, it significantly increases the difficulty. This is a key decision that the team has to make, in my view, this offseason, is is how to approach extension talks with Horvat and Miller, both extraordinarily good players. But, you know, I mean, it's going to be complicated. These are high-risk, high-stakes negotiations. And for me, you know, again, even if, you're, even if your team returned these guys, like the structural integrity of this roster vis-a-vis the books is going to be set in some ways this summer based on the decisions the club makes surrounding, you know, two of their best forwards. Well, and, and that's ultimately why returning everyone runs into problems because, yeah, the, if you return this basically the same group and maybe make some additions around the margins, they could absolutely make the playoffs next year. There's no doubt about that. The problem is, are you preventing yourself from making even more dramatic improvements in the future, right? If you retain all of these players who are all pretty much, with the exception of Quinn Hughes and Thatcher Demko, going to get more expensive on the horizon, either immediately yep. next year like Brock Besser or a year after that like Horvat and Miller or two years after that uh, like Paul Colson and like Elias Pettersson as well. So it's not just that you're locking yourself into this current group, you're locking yourself into this group that's going to be more expensive and going to be harder to improve prove around the edges and to that point this text immediately comes in uh, to the 650 650 Dunbar Lumber text line you can't keep both one of Miller and Horvat has to go and look is there a world where you can shed enough salary and make enough other moves and get both players on team friendly enough deals that the best way forward is to extend both of them yeah I I, I think that world does exist but it's extreme, It's an extremely complicated path to choose if you're going to try to turn this team around and turn it into a Stanley Cup contender. And so many other dominoes have to fall to make that ultimately palatable. So I don't think it's 100% one has to go, you can only keep one. But I think, you know, if you were to kind of map out all of the most likely paths forward for the Canucks, I don't know, maybe 90% or something of uh, of them like that, does involve only one of them staying because it's just so it's really really tricky to make the math work and make the salaries work if you decide to keep both of them and then when you just start to break it down and as you said look JT Miller is going to score 100 points this year that's phenomenal and it, it is really really hard to walk away from a player or explore moving a player who is that productive and and you know fits so well uh, on your team right now as a productive point scorer for you but when I look at Bo Horvat 
okay, maybe he hasn't been in that untouchable tier, right? We've heard over and over it's probably Demko, Pedersen, or Hughes. Maybe you don't want to call him an untouchable, but the logic of extending him, the logic of keeping him around, it, to me it's just overwhelming, right? And when you just think about the fact that he's been this productive, he's he was drafted by this team, he's been here since he's 19, he's the captain deciding to trade him, to me, would just be such a signal that, one, I think the turnaround is maybe going to take longer than we anticipated, and also that the cultural issues with this team are more severe than we realized, right? Like, that's the message you're sending if you trade the 27-year-old captain of your team or if you decide not to extend him. And I don't think it's any surprise in light of that that Elliot Friedman was reporting in 32 Thoughts, uh, his most recent blog, which you can read on sportsnet.ca, that signing an extension with Bo Horvat is one of the top priority for the Canucks. To me, that's absolutely right. This is a guy that you need to keep around, in my opinion. And... When you, you know, you mentioned it with Bruce Boudreaux that part of what the Canucks have to do this offseason is just send a, a signal of stability and confidence and project that stability to their team, to the fan base. Well, signing Bruce Boudreaux to an extension does that. And I think signing Bo Horvat to an extension does that as well, especially compared to the thought of going into next season potentially with Bo Horvat and JT Miller both on ex, uh, expiring deals, right? If you want to kind of give yourself the freedom to make some other moves, Extending Bruce Boudreaux and extending your captain is a great way to say, okay, yeah, there, we're, we're going to have to make some hard decisions, but we still have the right pieces, and this is still a stable, confident environment we're building. Yeah, and it also comes down for me to two-way play, right? Bo Horvat is, uh, we say it all the time, that defense isn't his calling card, but his two-way impact is reliable, right? This is a guy who can hold up in matchup minutes as a two-way player. You know, the defensive impact that JT Miller has had at center uh, doesn't really compare, to be totally honest with you. Uh, he's just not at that level as a two-way piece. And you'd, you'd throw in, too, that you know I do think Horvat's likely to be uh, relatively inexpensive in comparison with what Miller can demand on the heels of a, you know, <laughs> on the heels of a... Of a 100-point season. Of a 100-point season, right? Yeah. I, I, it's... Uh, I, it is what it is. It's, in worth, terms- it's worth mentioning just on that point that uh, 650 contributor Frank Zaravelli published something in the Daily Faceoff today, uh, briefly touching on the JT Miller situation, and he said that it seems to him like Miller's AAV could start with a nine, right? So that and that's not a, a lock from Saravelli or anything like that. It's just amusing, but that gives you the kind of idea of what we're talking about here. A yeah. very, very expensive contract. But, but no question. I mean, Zabanejad's eight times 8.5 with a full NMC, bulletproof NMC. Right and and Zabinijad wasn't coming off a hundred point season when he signed that deal, so yeah, I mean that's one of the things to be careful about in the wake of a of a year in which offense was way up. Right, the amount of goalies that played was way up. We saw a lot of backups. If you watch the Canucks, you saw a lot of backups playing them, and maybe you thought that was because teams you know weren't taking them seriously or because there were more back to backs, and that's part of the story. But the bigger part of the story is that with a condensed schedule, um, you know. Throughout this year, more goalies got used this season. That, that that every team dealt with that, and you're seeing spiking offensive production and diminishing average save percentage as a result. We're going to finish this season with an average save percentage, you know, below 905 for the first time in 15 years. So uh, you do have to be careful about how you apply comparables and how you compensate players for production, especially in the wake of of a couple of years that have been unlike any other. Uh, the other thing that I want to get into quickly, because for me, this is going to be the biggest test of management's overall ingenuity, right? And that is the Brock Besser situation. So Besser is on a backloaded contract with a cap hit just above 5.9. And he's got a $7.5 million platform year salary, which means that he's due a $7.5 million qualifying offer by end of day on July 11th. Or else the Canucks will not have his rights as an RFA, right? So in order to make Brock Besser an RFA, he must be extended a one-year deal worth $7.5 million. Now, $7.5 million is a big chunk of change, both in terms of salary and cap space. There are only 36 players in the NHL, so 36 forwards, excuse me, that have a cap hit of $7.5 million or higher. And the only ones that have produced fewer points than Besser has this season are are guys who dealt with, you know, 30 or 40 game absences as a result of injury, right? Your your Jack Eichels and your Evgeny Malkins and your um, you know, Mark Stones players right. of players of that ilk. So 
you know, 7.5 million is well above market for, for Besser. And if you extend him the qualifying offer, there is a real chance that he just accepts it, right? You're not going to make that much again. You, you just bank that money. Uh, you kick the can in next season when, you know, they'd repeat the process effectively. Uh, now, look, I don't think Besser is far off from being a $7.5 million player. I think he's at least a $6 million player. So we're not talking about a huge swing in terms of real market price versus his leverage price. But we are talking about a real enough swing for a team that's, you know, not going to have a ton of cap flexibility that you have to be really careful in how you navigate it. And there are no real good options for the Canucks here, right? Uh, people can say trade, but this is a headache. The, the qualifying offer level is a headache that whether it applies to the Canucks or a team trading for him, uh, teams would prefer not to deal with. And that restrains his trade value until this situation is resolved. You saw with uh, Jake DeBrusque, right? He agreed to an extension primarily to facilitate yeah. him going elsewhere, right? To, to up his trade value. We see every year better and better players are left un. Uh, unrestricted through the qualifying offer process because teams don't like the arbitration process. They don't like uncertainty. And so, you know, the trade options kind of crummy for, from a Vancouver perspective, because you'd be trading a really, really good, like 25 year old player who's for his career scored at a 30 goal per 82 game pace. And this is a sample of like 250 games here, 300 plus games, actually, excuse me. Um, you know, this is a really good top of the lineup player. Um, you know, you have to be really careful about trading a piece like that for cents on the dollar, especially when you're an asset-poor club like Vancouver is. So, you know, that's not really a good option. There's the possibility of club-elected arbitration, but that's not really a good option because there's a ton of real drawbacks, one of which is that, you know, the max amount that you can reduce a salary to is still over $6.3 million. So are you really going to nuke a relationship and, and also hand over control of the term of the deal? Uh, to Besser in order to, um, you know, cut back, save $1.2 I mean, I don't know if you're going to do that, especially in a year in which, or an offseason in which you're probably not looking at this team realistically and saying we're a move or two away from making the Stanley Cup. Well, especially so, because you're in doing that, you're also arguing against Besser's worth very publicly and very forcefully and probably damaging that relationship in a very significant way. So there's no good options, right? I mean, and you're right. There's just no good options. So the only the only palatable one, to be totally honest with you, is to come to terms uh, ahead of July 2nd, which is the deadline for a team to file for club elected arbitration. That's really the that's really the deadline. That's the first pressure point. Is July 2nd. The second pressure point is July 11th. Those are the two to keep in mind. So over the next two months, you you really probably need to hammer out a contract. You do. Like, I don't know that there's another good option. I don't think this team can afford either to not win any Besser deal. Like, I think you need to come to a relatively team-friendly settlement here. I, I think that I think that's the club's best option. I don't think there's really a, a world in which any other approach makes a ton of sense to me. Uh, you know, maybe, maybe some team is willing to, to make the sort of deal that the club would find attractive. So, you know, I'm not saying, without knowing exactly what offers are on the table, it's easy for me to be like, oh, his trade value is lower. Yeah. It is, you, you but ne- that you doesn't You never know mean, what kind of offer is going to come. That doesn't sure. mean that someone's not willing to pay for it. So, but, but you know, in, in navigating this with a distressed asset, I do think it's pretty clear that you need to come to an agreement with him on a contract that works for, for a couple of years, or, you know, maybe it's a four or five year deal. And, you know, if, if you ultimately decide to deal him, then you're dealing him from a position of strength as opposed to a position of, of problem-solving vis-a-vis a distressed asset. And so that's sort of, you know, this is a hot potato that's been handed to Jim Rutherford and, Al- and Patrick Alvine, and it's not going to be an easy one to, you know, pass off. It's not going to be an easy one to resolve in a way that benefits the club, that, that truly enhances their overall positioning and the overall amount of value that they have in the organization. And, and for me, this is the big test. You've brought in this new management team. Um, they've got a, a bit of a mess to clean up on aisle six. And, you know, we'll see how they approach it. The good news is that Besser's a really good player, and he's under some measure of team control. The bad news is, is that the way that the leverage points all work, I don't know that this is a situation that results in a, a team-friendly outcome, uh, at least based on... You know, my, my belief, which is that the club would be reluctant in an ideal world to, to have Besser on a $7.5 million cap hit. So that, to me, is going to be the biggest early test for Rutherford and Alvin. 
extending Bruce Boudreaux is a no-brainer. Making a decision on Miller and, and Horvat matters for the long term. But in the immediate future, the next eight weeks, once this season ends, how the Besser situation unfolds is going to be a huge early test for this new look Canucks management. The the way I've been looking at the Besser situation is, are you more likely to win a trade or are you more likely to win a Brock Besser extension? And because of the qualifying offer, I think the answer is you're more likely to win an extension. Now, I'm not sure it's going to be a home run, right, where you look at it in, in a couple of years and say, wow, I can't believe we've got Brock Besser on this kind of deal because he has that leverage of the 7.5 QO. So you're going, you know, the baseline that he's going to be making is still pretty significant. But, but I do think there's a chance at least that you get surplus value on that deal whereas the trade route is just so fraught because teams are so scared of the qualifying offer so you know we have Leaf Hater Steve suggesting like something like four years uh, 24 million total so four by six I don't know if that gets it done but something like that where you're willing to go a little bit longer to get that number down from 7.5 and you essentially bet on the talent of Brock Besser. Again, maybe you never look at that as a home run deal, but I do think it has a, a better chance of working out in a team-friendly way than dealing Besser at this point in time. It's not easy, but it's the best option to find uh, a positive outcome to this. It's the best of a, of a tough set of options. And, you know, there's all sorts of weird things you can do, including structuring the deal so that it's front-loaded and pays him the equivalent salary to the qualifying offer. That would be a nice nod to, to his leverage. Uh, that would be a perhaps a, a nice way to King Solomon it, split the baby. Uh, but... You know, it's it's going to be it's going to be really difficult. Anyway, the list has more, including on European free agents and cap flexibility, and a note on the importance of the Canucks not trading their 2022 first round pick. This team needs to make a first round oh, yeah. pick, Jamie. Oh, they need yeah. they need cheap labor coming, especially when you consider the situations that they're going to be navigating in the years ahead with Besser, with Horvat, with Miller, with Pedersen, with the likelihood that any of those players, should you decide to keep them, are about to get significantly more expensive, or at least more expensive significantly more expensive however in both Pedersen and Miller's case so I do think you need to be very careful about making sure that this pipeline doesn't dry up entirely after Hoaglander and Pod Colson right you're going to need contributing players affordably in the years ahead in the best seasons that you're likely to get from this Canucks core and so making that pick that's that's crucial you can go read it at the athletic I highly recommend you do um you know, we're kicking off the offseason and beginning to model things, and we'll have more conversations like this in the weeks and months ahead. But tonight, the Canucks play. One yep. last game at Rogers Arena this season. Uh, should be an interesting one. Hopefully it's a fun atmosphere. Hopefully the Canucks play a, a very good Los Angeles Kings team tough. We will be back tomorrow to break that down and continue to look ahead to the offseason. The People's Show is up next at your home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650.